0: Headquarters in San Francisco. This is Humans of Infosec, a story about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my friend and former colleague Robert Wood. Robert and I met when we were both working as security consultants at Sigital, during which he, among many other things, built Sigital's red team practice. Robert also ran the trust and security team at NUNA Health, where he was responsible for protecting the healthcare data of more than 80 million individuals. Robert is well known for his adversarial thinking and strategic planning approach to his work. And today, one of the things he's very focused on is helping security professionals to advance their careers. Robert, welcome to our podcast.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: It is my pleasure. So this is our second episode. And one of the things that you and I were talking about during our prep session was this idea that there's this typical path that a security professional goes through, you know, in order to work in this industry. You know, maybe somebody's parents bought them a computer when they were really young, or, you know, they started hacking telephones. But I think the reality is a lot of the people that you and I know came from all sorts of different backgrounds and all sorts of different experiences. Can you, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your story, about how you got into the industry?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so I came into this industry in a really roundabout way, as Caroline mentioned, as many people are oftentimes doing today. So, so when I was in university, I, I went to Syracuse University, I was actually studying sports management originally. And I had this idea as a kid, this, this vision, that I wanted to coach football at, a, at an elite level. And I loved the strategic elements of football. I loved the leadership elements of it. Um, when I was a kid, I did a lot of studying of football coaches like Vince Lombardi and Don Shula. And that's actually how I became a Miami Dolphins fan, which is a sad state of affairs today, but that's a separate topic. Um, and so I was studying and working hard, and I was putting myself through college, working a bunch of part-time jobs, working swing shifts, working overnight uh, to pay my bills and get myself through classes. And the last semester before I graduated, uh, I had all I had left was my capstone, um, which is part of the program. There, I, I was just randomly reading some articles because I still I loved reading. I always just loved consuming. In, in just useful um, interesting content, and I read this article about digital forensics, and I thought just that was the coolest thing that you have these uh, these crazy hackers working their way through systems, and these people on the on the other side trying to figure out how they did it, trying to play detective And as a as a kid, and still currently, I'm a huge Batman fan, so that that was something that just immediately appealed to me. Um, and so I, I stepped back and thought. Um what is it about coaching football that really really appeals to me because there is a there is a downside, and there was a downside to that It's a really volatile career. you move around a lot, there's not a lot of uh job security things like that and and I did not want to at the time drag my family through all of that uh drag my future family through all of that being uh <laughs> opportunistic or uh optimistic as i as i was um and so I ended up just arriving at the conclusion that I could get all of those same benefits and more and and fuel this, um, you know, fuel these passions of mine that I had and do something that I thought was really interesting by pursuing a career in cybersecurity. And so with one last semester to go, I ended up changing majors over to information management technology. I did a concentration in information security at Syracuse. And, and I just started consuming and teaching myself everything that I could possibly get my hands on. So I was still working all those uh, part-time jobs to, to get myself through school. Um, I was listening to DEF CON and Black Hat lectures on podcasts uh, overnight. And so I was just learning, learning, learning about all these different aspects of the industry. So, you know, reverse engineering. And I was listening to stuff about forensics and pen testing, and it was just, Fascinating. I I picked up on the Social Dash Engineer podcast really early on. I listened to their very first episode and I was like, oh my god, this is all just this is all super cool. And so, um, and I you know built myself a lab at home and started doing the more traditional stuff once I got the bug, um, you know. But I was I was playing catch up and I eventually I was going out and trying to find opportunities to get an internship to do something like this and I kept hitting walls, uh, saying like you know, hey. Thank you for reaching out, but you really don't have the kind of experience that we're looking for, blah, blah, blah. So thanks, but no thanks. And there was a really tiny boutique consultancy in upstate New York. And I went in, uh, well, I sent an email initially, uh, you know, try to, put the, try to put the moves on when you're making a first impression. And they invited me in for an interview, uh, for an internship, went in, told them my whole story, uh, told them all I was looking for it was a shot, I don't care if I get paid or not. I really just want to contribute. I want to learn. I want to try to make what you guys are doing valuable. And they gave me that shot. Um, They did pay me, I think like 10 or $11 an hour or something as an intern. And they said, you know, work as many hours as you can stomach and just don't screw anything up. Don't break anything on our customers. And it's like, all right, you got it. And so they gave me the opportunity to do a lot of different stuff, everything from, Uh, Forensics work that I was really passionate about, to I got my first exposure to actually doing red teaming assessments, to a lot of different uh, scanning and pen testing work. And I got uh, the opportunity to start writing code to to automate some things that were part of our process. And it just gave me a whole new kind of perspective and insight into the security industry. And then from there, I ended up uh, joining a bigger consultancy, Sigital, and moving my way through that organization and ended up starting a red team practice and so on and so forth. And here I am.
0: It's so cool. I, I've always known you to be such a go-getter and you approach your work with such passion. Uh, and it was a big surprise to me when I realized that I had never before this morning asked you about how you got started. Uh, <laughs> and I just, I just think it's so cool. Um, we did release our first episode of the podcast earlier this week. Uh, and one of our listeners had a question for us on Reddit. Uh, this person said, you know, I'm interested in starting my own consulting firm. And I'd really like to hear from someone on your podcast who has experience with that. Um, and so Robert, when you and I were at Sigital, one of the things that you did was you built the red team practice. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, certainly coming to the table with your extensive knowledge of military and political history and even you know as you were an aspiring football coach you know always sort of being obsessed with strategy and with playbooks can you tell me about what that was like how do you how do you go from nothing to a professional consulting practice in a new area
1: yeah absolutely so so that was uh, I'm not going to lie; it was a challenge uh, trying to figure all of that stuff out because there was really no blueprint. Um, you know, uh, most practices at those uh, larger consultancies like that—they're born out of you know somebody in a leadership position. Uh, you know, they have an idea about where the market's going, et cetera, et cetera, and then they they allocate resources and they go make it happen. You can almost think about it like uh, you know, startups. Being pair, uh, paired or married with venture capitalists, and lots of money gets infused into the problem, and voila, you have you have something that is then providing value. Uh, for my for my particular case, and I imagine for anyone who's trying to start something in a very bootstrap oriented way, like I was starting from literally nothing. I was given no extra resources, no extra time, nothing. And the way I I started it is. You know I had a passion for red teaming based on my my experience uh, coming at oh well, a, my experience just reading about all of these uh, uses of strategic deception and all of that stuff in, in military and uh, political history land and uh, and then getting some exposure to it hands- on at the boutique consultancy and And so I knew it was something that was valuable and and I knew that what we were doing is at digital providing penetration tests and and all these big uh, enterprise scale security assessments, I knew that they had their place, but I also, like, I fundamentally believed that there was uh, something else that we could potentially provide to them that was outside of the scope of how we were instructing and coaching our clients to think about risk and think about vulnerabilities. And so uh, essentially what I did is I, I just started writing all of this stuff down that I um that I wanted to accomplish, you know, what, what the assessment process looked like, what kinds of things we were doing, how it differentiated from, uh, from what we were currently doing, what kinds of resources that we needed. And that wasn't necessarily money, that was other people's time, that was uh, reusable artifacts, that was statements of work that we would um, you know, present to customers and use to facilitate the, the contracting. Uh, engagement process that was report templates that was uh, frameworks that we would use to actually guide and inform the way that consultants would think about stuff, and and I uh, I, I kind of acted like a, like an evangelist of sorts at um, or an evangelical at at digital for red teaming. Like I was um, you know going out and getting other consultants fired up about this this kind of stuff, and so that way they would spend. Uh, their extra hours as they had them helping me develop uh, these materials and thinking about these these things from a different perspective, because you know any good red teamer should be red teaming themselves, which is basically approaching a problem from an adversarial or alternative perspective. and so so we had a lot of uh, open exchange of information and ideas. And so through that uh, bootstrapping process, we we basically built it on our extra time initially and just built out all of these artifacts that we could then use. And, and at the same time, I was out uh, speaking at local events. Um, I gave a few conference talks on the topic and it was just a, kind of a summary of my thoughts. And I eventually got a customer to buy it. Um, you know, just working with some of the business development folks, um, you know, the, the sales team, they were out having all of these, uh, you know, they're at the front line of the funnel. And so they're having these very general conversations to start about like what kinds of security issues you're running into. And any time that, uh, that a sales resource had a conversation that aligned with something that we could potentially tackle, I had relationships with them. It was, you know, feeding them information about how they could respond, what we could potentially do. And so one thing led to another, we eventually sold our first gig. Um, we, we executed on it, I think we provided good value, and then we just kept on building on that momentum. So, uh, you know, getting feedback from the customers, working that into our process, uh, showing some, uh, using that as kind of a blueprint for other business development teams to say, hey, we sold this thing in here, it was something completely outside your normal portfolio, here are the talking points, here's the value add, go use that stuff and see if it's useful. And And then it just kind of flowed from there, if you will. So we just kept on investing more of our resources into it until it became a fully fledged practice and got funding and it had more structure around it. And so at the end of it, when I left, I think they were pulling in a couple million a year from red teaming assessments. And that was was all just bootstrapped.
0: That's incredible. I think that's that's such a useful insight for a lot of people to hear, um, and thank you so much for your generosity and your honesty in sharing really what that experience was like for you. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm hopeful that you know maybe that can inspire some of our listeners, um, perhaps who might be in a similar situation. Which is to say, sometimes when you want to start something new, you know you don't have a lot to start out with you don't have a blueprint maybe you don't necessarily have formal funding um but but that you can make it happen uh and to give insight into what some of those steps looked like for you um is super cool
1: yeah and and one thing i would add to that is you know i think for anyone starting and this is this is me saying this now with 2020 hindsight um is Figuring out whether or not you want to go into a competitive landscape and basically be replicating largely what somebody else is doing. You know, if you're going to do that, that's totally fine. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but you can pull from a lot of the stuff that other people have already published, um, you know, in terms of process, in terms of tooling, all of that stuff. Or if you want to do something completely new, uh, there's a book and kind of a, a movement I would recommend called Blue Ocean Strategy, which is all about um, finding ways to get out of really competitive markets and create new uh, new versions of value for customers. And that might be um, by adding additional things that are considered valuable. It might be um, cutting other things they, they have whole Frameworks and and methodologies and stuff around it. And there's a YouTube channel, blog, um, the books is where I started. And I I found them absolutely fascinating and hugely valuable to a lot of the things that I do today. So, uh, big plug for Blue Ocean Strategy.
0: Cool. Cool. Blue Ocean Strategy. Thank you so much for the pointer. Yeah. So, Robert, after your work at Sigital, you made a really big shift. And I've noticed this uh, for a lot of. Sort of established information security professionals. You know, folks will do some time working on the vendor side, some time working on the practitioner side. And after Sigital, you joined Nuna Health mm-hmm. as the leader of the trust and security team. Uh, and and you and I had a really interesting conversation about a year ago about healthcare data and. How healthcare data is like a special type of sensitive data, um, and it there there are some things about healthcare data that make it even more critical to protect than, for example, financial data uh, mm-hmm. can you Can you share some of those thoughts with our listeners as well as tell us a little bit about what it was like shifting gears you know going from really being a consultant and giving folks advice and providing them uh, sort of these services to being the one in charge of protecting and defending uh, these assets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a, uh, it was a big, big shift for me because I, I, I got to tell you, I have, I have a huge amount of respect for people who work on the practitioner side um, you know, work on the blue team, so to say, because it's, it's hard. You know, we, we as consultants, I'm, I'm just going to say we, even though I'm no longer doing that per se. But you know, people on the offensive security side of things, you know, it's so easy to find issues. Not easy to to uh, you know smack down what they're what they're doing because it does require a lot of skill. But it's it's way easier to find a lot of issues and to say, hey, you know, organization uh, X, you know, you have X Y Z issues you should be doing something about this, you know, the sky is falling. And uh, for the blue teamers perspective or the CISO, whatever role that individual is in or that team is in, uh, you know, they might be resource strapped, they might be politically strapped, they might, um, you know, they might have other priorities, Uh, security might not be a huge um, focal point for the business. And so they might just be running into all of these other hurdles or there might be other risks that they're wrestling with that data that the red teamer or the pen tester doesn't even know about. And so uh, it's really easy to point fingers and it's really hard to sit on the other side of the fence and manage all of that stuff. So I immediately had like a newfound respect and, and continue to this day for people in that position, because there's a lot of stuff to manage. And so, um, so I'll just, I'll just throw that out there initially, uh, to start with, but, um, Switching over to uh, healthcare data, one of the uh, or a uh, healthcare tech company. One of the things that got me in that position initially uh, was was the fact that the company was basically uh, they approached me and you know their their mission was to build this data warehouse for the Medicaid program, um, uh, Medicare Medicaid. Uh, so that that scale of of healthcare operations and and subsequently healthcare data. And they're like, we need we need this thing to be secure. We're going to be handling a lot of people's sensitive information, and you know, as a red teamer, I can just think about what are all the things that could go wrong in this situation, and you know, it's a, it's a long list. And you know, and if that many people's healthcare data gets stolen, or even a subset of that, you know, you can't go out and rotate your social security number or other data in your personal profile like that like you can a credit card number. You know, you just call up Chase or Bank of America or whoever your financial provider is and say, hey, I want a new credit card, lost your stolen, and it's done in five minutes. And the bank incurs all of the cost mostly. Um, and and that's, that's just part of the business model. And from a healthcare perspective, yes, there are some systemic costs that can be felt on organizations, like there's Medicare and Medicaid fraud that occurs all the time. It's a huge... Uh, black market business, so to speak, but uh, but a lot of the costs if healthcare data is stolen is incurred by the individual, and so it's 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 a lot more uh, sensitive in that respect, I believe. And so you know, this again circles back to my uh, my my Batman mild obsession or complete obsession, if uh, you know, depending on how close you know me and how you want to label it. Um, like I I really really felt called to be in that role and help. Defend those systems and, and contribute what I could to making that situation better and and doing everything I could. So that was what got me into that role out of consulting, which like I, I loved doing what I was doing consulting, but this just felt really important, and I felt called to it, so.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and I do want to know more about this whole Batman thing. Um, <laughs> I have noticed, so your, han- your Twitter handle is at Holy Cyber Batman. You have a personal blog called Building the Bat. What was your first exposure to Batman, and what was it <laughs> about this character and this persona that was so inspiring to you, And and how have you carried that? throughout your work and, and also your life.
1: Yeah. So, so when I was a kid, I, you know, I played games, I read comics, I watched TV shows, all of that stuff, like most, most kids do. And uh, some of, one of my favorite TV shows growing up was Batman, the animated series. And I actually still have the Blu-ray set and I watch it from time to time. And it's like, for anyone who hasn't watched it, it's, it's just like an amazing, very adult worthy cartoon. It's like, it's, it sounds cheesy to call it a cartoon, so I'll call it an animated picture, but um, it is, it is awesome, so, like, that and comic books were my, my initial exposure to, to Batman, and the thing that, well, a couple of things that I absolutely loved about the character was he was, he was a very unlikely hero, so, you know, he did not get born with all of the the abilities and all of the resources, you know, he was rich because of his parents and his situation. But, you know, he had to go out and and hustle. He had to train. He had to be disciplined. He had to show grit. Um, he had to work really, really hard. And and he continued to have to work really, really hard even after he initially donned the the cape and cowl. And you know, it was it was all about hard work and full. Strategically outwitting his opponents and tactically just outmaneuvering them once once combat started and and I loved that that combination of hard work um, Preparation follow-through strategy tactic. like it was just it it really really resonated with me and um, You know and it's something that like those fundamental principles are something that I've just always stuck with so uh, you know, anyone who knows me, my wife, uh, my wife will tell you as well. Like I, I am a, I am a hustler. Like I will work tirelessly when there is something that I'm passionate about. And the fact that Bruce Wayne, Batman, felt so passionately that crime and corruption in Gotham needed to be addressed, and he had something that he could potentially do about it, even though it was like a hugely large and impossible problem. You know, he put himself in the line to try to make that situation better and that's like that really really resonates with me and how I how I work and how I interface with the with the security community in general. So
0: yeah that's so cool. I mean I have certainly observed not only your tremendous work ethic that you bring to the table but also this sort of desire to defend and protect. Um, And and most recently and and this will be our last question for the show today although I certainly hope you'll join us for future episodes of this podcast. You've had a focus on helping the rest of the security professional community. So tell me a little bit about Hack Your Cyber Career. What's that all about and what do you hope to accomplish with that initiative?
1: Yeah, so so I'll, I'll start it with a story because, as you can probably tell, I'm, I'm a little bit on the, on the story bender right now, but, um, you know, I've helped a number of people get their, get their foot in the door with, excuse me, um, with the cybersecurity career throughout my own career. So like one of the most notable examples of this is I was uh, working on a game console assessment and uh, during my time at Citadel and I was, it was really, really difficult and I was, I found myself constantly running out to Starbucks to get like triple red eyes because I was I was working just tirelessly trying to find issues with this thing. And, um, and I was frequently running into this barista at Starbucks and, you know, he would, he would ask like, wow, that is a powerful drink. Like, what do you have going on tonight? And so I told him and he, uh, one of the days he stopped me and he's like, Hey, is this like really what you do for a living? I was like, yeah, absolutely what I do. Uh, And so we started talking and and he's like, well, if you, if you ever have time, I would love to pick your brain because I really want to get in this field. I studied X, Y, and Z and, uh, you know, and I'm just finding it really challenging. And so, you know, we met up, uh, got some beers, uh, a few days later and we started exchanging texts and I, I had him over and we would like run through these coaching sessions. And I, I eventually ended up helping him, uh, also land a job at Sigital. And he, he has since moved on from Sigital, but you know, he's, he's built a name for himself and a career for himself. And I have a number of uh, people that I've helped in that fashion. And like, it makes me extremely like deeply satisfied when that, when that kind of stuff happens. And um, you know, because I, I had a weird path into the field as well. And so, uh, so it's something I can really relate to. And so with this hack your cyber career uh, site and group and Twitter stuff that I'm that I'm doing, what I hope to accomplish with it is to help more people develop the the soft skills, the undercurrent principles and skills and, and abilities that they need to both get into the field and then develop in the field, whether it's as an individual contributor or as a as a first time leader um, or as an existing leader um, within the field. Cause we have a massive, massive talent gap. And I don't think that the best way to solve the problem is to continue to try to hire the same kind of person. Um, you know, we, we have gotten really good at talking about diversity in the field and why we need more diversity. Um, and while, you know, some of the more overt characteristics of diversity like uh, race and gender um, are, are certainly a part of that and they influence the way that people think, I think that diversity runs a lot deeper. And, and let's say, a, a woman um, you know and, and I'm totally just hypothesizing here I, you know I'm not a woman so I don't I don't know for sure obviously but um, but a woman going through the exact same uh, kind of background and educational um, structure and classwork and, and internships and all of that as a male counterpart is probably going to solve and attack problems in a similar way They will definitely approach the work differently which is which is a huge, value and and we should be championing that and trying to bring more of that in but i also feel that we need to find ways to highlight to seek out highlight and then champion people who attack problems in completely different ways because you know we are as an industry really really struggling to to gain ground on the the permeation of technology throughout our society and as it starts plugging into more and more industries, more and more people are coming online, more and more smart systems, are, smart cities are are, um, are becoming available. And so we need a way to gain ground. And I think the only way we really, truly gain ground is by attacking our problems differently. And so uh, so my hope is that I can help scale my efforts to help bring more diverse people into the field and then help them grow into the impactful leaders. and influencers that I I believe they can be.
0: Phenomenal. I continue to be inspired by you. I feel honored to be sharing the stage with you at Snowfrock in Denver next week. And I think that the work that you're doing is is so exciting. I think you are making a huge impact on our current and our future generations of security leaders. Um, Robert, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. I really had fun. And, uh, and I hope we can chat again soon. Well, obviously we'll chat in Denver, but outside of that.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen testing as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.